So I think that most people who aren't Christians or who are no longer Christians in North America are that way because of churches. The things that churches have said or done or how they've treated people in this country have pushed people far away from Jesus. I think the way that we do church in this country has to change. The church exists to make disciples, students, apprentices of Jesus' way of life, the way that he lived and loved. Jesus said his students would be known by their love, but most of the time our churches are producing people who are known for their hate, not their love. The type of people our churches are producing is a direct result of the type of churches that we have. I think the way we do church has to change. According to a recent study, 43% of millennials, that's my generation, don't know if God exists and don't care even if he does. It's even higher in the generation after me. Across America, only 47% of people said they belong to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. What's interesting about this stat is usually when someone takes a poll and they ask, like, did you vote? People tend to lie in the positive. A lot more people say they vote than actually vote. And a lot more people tend to say they attend a church, synagogue, or mosque who actually do. So probably it's much lower. The true number is probably much, much lower. In Philadelphia, I saw a study a few years ago that less than 10% of people are in a church, synagogue, or mosque every week in the greater Philadelphia area. The way we do church has to change. Church has become a punchline, a synonym for being boring or being a center for gossip or being completely out of touch with the world or culture. I think Homer Simpson sums up most people's frustration with church, right? He's like, I'm not a bad guy. I work hard. I love my kids. Why should I spend half my Sunday hearing about how I'm going to hell? Like, that's what most people think about church. Anyone ever fall asleep in church? Ever fall asleep in a church service? I have. And I wasn't a kid. I was in my 20s. Okay, and I fell asleep so hard, I fell forward, my head hit the pew, it was a wooden pew church in front of me, and it made this like, dome noise through the whole congregation. Everybody just turns and looks at me, because I was in the back, you know, so I could sleep, right? And um, the pastor just stops and looks at me and shakes his head, you know, like, and I'm rubbing my forehead, because I fell asleep. It was so boring, it was two and a half hours of boringness, I was just... I just couldn't take it. I think the way we do church has to change. If we went around the room, all of us could tell stories of people we knew who have left the Christian faith, who have left the Christian church. We could tell stories about how people we know and care about have been hurt by Christian people and Christian churches. Honestly, we could go around and tell stories about how we've been hurt by Christian churches and Christian people. The way we do church has to change. Just, it has to. I think what Jesus had in mind for the church was a countercultural community of people of all races and backgrounds who acted like a family and learned and taught each other how to live and love like him. And I think we've gotten way off track. I think Jesus' original vision for church looks nothing like the modern American church. I think if we're going to matter in the future, if we're going to even survive, let alone thrive in the future, church 
has to change. We have to recapture what Jesus had in mind when he talked about church. And I think to be ready for the future, we have to learn from the early church. And let me just say here, I don't hate church. I love church. I don't bash the church because I'm anti-church. I started a church, right? I believe in this thing. But I'm in love with Jesus's vision for church, and I think it's so good that it's worth fighting for when we're not measuring up to what he imagined. I think that the church can be better, and it must be better. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at elements of the early church in Acts, elements that I think are essential to becoming a church for the future, a church like Jesus imagined. I think this this series over the next few weeks is how the church must change for the future. So in Acts chapter 1, we're going to read the first nine verses today. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that my father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And he, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. Now, Acts is the second book written by Luke, a continuation of his biography of Jesus. Unlike most of the Bible, Luke was, uh, Luke was not written by a Jewish person. It was written by a Gentile. Um, Luke, the Gospel of Luke is his biography of Jesus, and Acts just picks up right after that. It picks up right where Luke ends with the followers of Jesus developing communities to carry out the last command of Jesus. Jesus' last command was, go everywhere make disciples, students, apprentices of my way of life. Now, when I was first introduced to Acts as a good church-going young man, um, I was told it was a curious book, but ultimately a useless history of the first churches, that we're not supposed to emulate these churches, that because things were new, they were different than what Jesus ultimately intended for the church to be. This came from a mindset that the modern American church is the right thing, and the early church kind of missed it, but we eventually got there. I want to actually reverse that thinking. I think the early church was probably closer to Jesus's actual vision and the modern American church has got off track. I've rejected this early thinking about the book of Acts. And if we think about the church from the time of Jesus until now as a great game of telephone, I think the people who were closest to Jesus probably had the best idea about what he wanted the community of followers to look like. Anyone ever played telephone? And you say the first word or you say a phrase and by the end of it they say something outlandish because people mishear things right i think somewhere along the way the church has been influenced by culture and by business and many times it's unrecognizable or would be unrecognizable to the early first century believers i think jesus might look at the churches we have today and say 
wow, that looks nothing like what I imagined when I came up with this idea of church. Now, one of the first things I want us to notice here in Acts is Jesus doesn't give any instruction on what a church is supposed to look like. You notice that? He's like, hey, you guys need to go everywhere, make some disciples. You're going to become these communities. He doesn't tell us what it looks like. He doesn't give us the Jesus-approved model. He doesn't say, always use this method. What we find in Acts isn't the right models to use when it comes to church, but the right mindsets for churches to have. When I started church planting, everybody was asking me, what model are you using? Are you going to be a missional community church? Are you going to be an attractional large, launch large church? They were asking me all about what model I was using. And then they would say, well, I'm using this one. And mine's the most biblical. You know, and then the other guy would say, no, no, no. Mine's the most biblical. And they would argue about it. Jesus doesn't give us a model for how to do church. He doesn't say, hey, house churches, that's the only way. That's the right way. He doesn't say mega churches. That's the only way. That's the right way. I find this incredibly freeing and invigorating. Jesus didn't say, hey, every church has to look like this. Every church has to be exactly like this. Jesus isn't a control freak. Like, I'm so happy. I hate working for control freaks. I hate being around control freaks. I'm a little bit of one, so that's why I hate them. And um, Jesus isn't a control freak. He's not. Darby's laughing because she knows it can be true. Um, What's so freeing and invigorating about this means there are ways of doing church that no one has thought of yet. There may be a way of doing church that God bursts in your heart or in your head that no one else has thought of, and it's a right way of doing church. Because Jesus didn't outline it has to be like this. Instead, he's given us some mindsets. Maybe you've hated every church you've ever been to. Maybe you're supposed to start a new way of doing church, and that's why. Maybe you are supposed to start something new and surprising. And if you do, I promise you, if you're watching online or if you're here, I will do everything I can to help you start something new. Because I believe new expressions of church make disciples of people that no other church was reaching. Now, one of the things I love about Christianity is that it adapts to every culture it encounters. Every culture that Christianity encounters, it adapts to it. As Christianity moves to a new region of the world, it takes on elements of that unique culture and the people that is reaching. Other religions maintain their geographic identity as they spread, but Christianity always adapts. There's an incredible creative freedom in Christianity. And there's an incredible creative freedom in how we get to do church. I think one of the most stifling realities of how modern Westerners do church is we've been marked by comparison and conformity and not marked by creativity. And we have a wonderful freedom to be creative and think of new ways of doing church and different ways of doing things while still fitting inside this mindset of how Jesus wanted the church to act. And a quick sidebar here. I'm talking about how the future of the North American church absolutely has to change to survive, but I don't think the church is losing ground in the world. The church is actually growing. It's just not growing in the West. We may be losing ground in North America, but the average Christian today would be Asian or African, not a Western European. The good news of Jesus is exploding in those regions of the world. The global church isn't surrendering. It's merely refocusing on parts of the world that have not yet been deeply impacted by the gospel. 
So it may feel like the church is losing ground in our country, but the church is gaining ground in lots of other places. Take, for example, here in Africa, in 1900, there were 8.7 million Christians. Now there are 390 million Christians in Africa, and they estimate by 2025 there will be 600 million. There are more Christians in Africa than there are people in the United States of America. Think about it. It's booming. You look at the stats for China, it's crazy. Christianity is growing like crazy. And I think that we have something to learn from these churches around the world. I think that these global Christians have naturally adopted the mindsets of the early church, mindsets that in America many times we have forgotten. Now, when I talk about church, I'm not referring to a building or a service. I'm talking about a global community of people learning to live and love like Jesus. There's local expressions of that all over the world, and I think our local expressions in the West have a lot to learn from the local expressions in the global South and East of the world. Now, notice what Jesus told his disciples here. He just commissioned them to go to the entire world. That's what he's like, hey, I need you to take this message, share the good news of my kingdom and me ruling as king, my, take my way of life, and share it with everybody around the whole world. Now, if I was a small-town fisherman in the first century, I'd be like, this is a crazy big task. I'm never going to get this done. I need to start right now. If I start right now and I spend my whole life, maybe I'll get some of it done. I need to just take off and get as much done as I possibly can because this task is too big for me and I need to use all the time I possibly can. I would look at the huge task and want to get started immediately, but instead Jesus commands something interesting. What did he say to him? He said, wait. Wait. Now, can you imagine that? You're given a huge project and you're like, man, I better get started on this because I'm never going to get this done. And they say, oh, no, no, wait. You can't do it yet. He essentially said, you don't have the tools that you need to do this, right? Like, Darby and I are putting down new floors in our dining room, and oh man, boy, did we overestimate our abilities, right? But we got in there, we have the glue, we have the vinyl flooring, and I'm like, how do I put this glue down? I didn't have the tool. I wanted to get the job done. It was a big job. It didn't get done yesterday because I had to wait until I had the right tools to accomplish it. And what Jesus tells them is, you cannot accomplish what I've asked of you unless you have the Holy Spirit. What Jesus expects the church to be and do in the world is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Whatever vision he has for this countercultural community called the church, it will require patience and waiting for the Spirit because they cannot be the people that he wants them to be or the community that he has imagined them as being or accomplish the task he has given them without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. More time, more money, more people won't make it possible. Only the Spirit will make it possible. He doesn't say the church can't exist without great preaching, because it can. He doesn't say it can't exist without great music, because it can. He doesn't say it can't exist without a smoke machine or fancy lights, because it can. He doesn't say the church can't exist without a children's ministry, even though I've had pastors tell me that. He's like, no church can exist without a children's ministry. He says, you can exist without a beautiful building. You can exist without lots of people. The only thing that is necessary for the church to be the church is the Holy Spirit. 
That means that we can be a church that matches the vision that Jesus had for church and not have a lot of people or a nice building or children's ministry or great music or great preaching or small groups or programs or whatever else. Not that those things are bad, but they're not necessary. What's necessary is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the tradition I grew up in, the Christian tradition I grew up in, barely mentioned the Holy Spirit. We believed in the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Scripture, and you just kind of didn't mention this, the Holy Spirit. He was mostly ignored. And if we did mention him, we were kind of said it like quietly, like, Holy Spirit, because we were afraid he might make us do something weird or uncomfortable if we talked about him too much. Like, man, if that Holy Spirit breaks out, who knows what could happen? So we just keep that, like, under wraps. When my family was new to Christianity— we just started going to church. A family across the street invited us to go to a church service with them. Um, and it was very different. It was very different than the church we were attending. In the middle of the service, a lady stood up and began enthusiastically doing the chicken dance down in front. I think we have a little chicken. If you click it again, he actually does the chicken dance. This lady, she was down front, and she was full-on chicken dancing. And I mean, this may not be the nicest way. She was a larger lady, and she was just full-on chicken dancing back and forth the front of the stage. I was new to Christianity. This was very strange to me. So I leaned over to my neighbor and I said, what is happening? And uh, just totally like nonchalant, like this happens all the time. He leaned over. He goes, oh, the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, like that explained it. You know, like I'm like, okay, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't want any part of that. Like I'd rather die than be embarrassed like that. And I think a lot of churches view the Holy Spirit as a boogeyman that's going to make us do something silly if we let him in or we let him have any authority or any presence in our churches or in our lives. And sometimes to avoid the outlandish things that have been done in the Spirit's name, whole segments of the Christian church have attempted to do on their own something that they can never do. Be the church that Jesus imagined. We absolutely, 100% need the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of churches that have been established on great preaching, in great buildings, with great music, and great kids' programs that simply do not have the Holy Spirit presence or power. And I think Jesus would say, hmm, it's not quite what I imagined. They have meetings about how to reach more people. I've had meetings about how to reach more people. But very rarely, if ever, do I have meetings about how necessary the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is. I think the problem with most churches is we're trying to do something with strategy rather than using the supernatural power of the Spirit. There was a time when I took my grandfather's boat out. I wasn't supposed to take it out, but I did sometimes because he left it at a dock and didn't know what I was doing. So I would go out with my friends on this pontoon boat. It was a piece of garbage. He bought it for a couple hundred bucks. It was terrible, but we'd go out tubing on it. Um, it broke all the time. And so I was out one time on the lake in Tennessee with my friends. We can see the shore, but we're way out there. And the engine, like it often does, decides to completely break. And so I'm fiddling with it, trying to get it to start again. And then I notice the whole prop and uh, um, propeller actually falls off. And you just watch it go blub, 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 blub down under the water. And I'm like, okay, that's going to be a problem. We no longer have power to this boat. So we, me and my buddy, we tied some ropes around ourselves and jumped in, and we began hauling this pontoon boat back to shore by swimming. 
Of course, the girls who were with us and my sister, they stayed on just, you know, sunbathing on the boat because they're like, we're not going to help. So me and my buddy have ropes tied around us, and we're swimming this back. And I thought, it floats. It'll be pretty easy. It was not easy. It was hard, hard work swimming, I don't know, several hundred yards back to shore, tugging this boat. I think a lot of times our churches are like that. We've tied some ropes around ourselves. We've tied some ropes around some programs or around some great speakers or around some great musicians. And we're saying, let's haul this powerless boat back to shore when if we had an engine on it, we could just get back there in two seconds and it would require no energy, no exhaustion because it's supernaturally empowered. I don't want to haul horizon to the distant shore. I want the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to energize us to get there. There's a scene in the new Disney Plus show, Loki. Anybody watching Loki? Okay, a couple of us. Um, he gets captured and his magical powers don't work anymore and he's standing up there and he's like he's flexing and they're laughing at him and they're like what's he doing and they're like ma'am he's trying to use his magical powers and they don't work here he's like hold on hold on and he just keeps flexing and nothing happens I think that there's a lot of churches making motions and nothing has happened because they are trying to act without the power of the Holy Spirit we're making motions, but nothing happens because we aren't empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we can't do it on our own. We can't be the church that Jesus asked us to be, the church that he imagined without the Holy Spirit. A lot of churches are flexing their muscles of money and music, talented communicators and buildings, but there's no supernatural power behind it, and we can't figure out why the world isn't impressed by us. Do you want to know why people aren't Christians today? It isn't because the culture is secular or post-Christian. It's because we claim that the church is supernatural and there's nothing supernatural happening here. That's why. That's why people aren't Christians. That's why they've rejected Christianity. We don't do anything that can't be explained away with money, talent, or training. Francis Chan, in his book on the Holy Spirit, satirically referred to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God of Western Christianity. I think he's right but i don't think it's just of western christianity i think it's of my christianity i've forgotten about the holy spirit i'm like if i put in enough study i can do it i can preach a good message if i put in enough work i can make this thing happen if i do the right things relationally i can get people to show up i don't want it to be something where i had to haul the boat to the shore i want god to be involved i want jesus to be pleased with the type of church we are or it's not worth it. It's a waste of time. We can't change all the churches in the country, but we can change ourselves. And I want to start with changing Horizon. And over these next few weeks, it's not going to be me bashing the other churches. It's going to be me critiquing the church that I started and the baggage that I brought to this church and the things that I need to correct about how I lead here and the things that we need to correct about what it looks like to be a church together a church like jesus imagined i don't think horizon has been very good at being dependent on the power and the presence of the holy spirit now sometimes we've been forced to that's the nature of a church plan sometimes we're just forced to rely on the holy spirit because everything's stacked against us and it's like if you don't find a place by this day you're just dead or if this doesn't come through you're just dead or somebody's like hey we're leaving and i'm like what are we gonna do and new leaders step up and i'm like Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
But I wouldn't say that I pursue being dependent on the Holy Spirit. I rely on him when I have to, and as soon as I don't have to, I'm good with that. As a pastor, I haven't been very good at being dependent on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the book of Acts, and 35 of those times, he's speaking. Let me ask you this. Think about this for a minute. When was the last time the Holy Spirit spoke to you? For some of us, you might say, never. Or you might say, like me, man, it's been a while. And you know what? I've gone on like everything's perfectly fine. It should be unusual when he's not speaking to me. Not normal. I spend more time telling God my strategy and far too little time listening to his. I see the Spirit as a tool to accomplish my goals, not a collaborator to join in what he's doing. Too often, I see Horizon as my church and not his church. This is the Holy Spirit's church, not my church. When was the last time you did something that was destined to fail unless the Holy Spirit's power and presence showed up? After a while, I just start, stop taking risks, and I start playing it safe. I don't think that's what Jesus imagined for the church. Trying to live and love like Jesus without the supernatural aid of the Spirit is impossible. Trying to learn and teach others in community to live and love like Jesus is impossible without the supernatural aid of the Spirit. The church of the future, the church that will survive and thrive in North America, is a church that is dependent, that is desperate for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They'll be empowered by the supernatural presence of God. The churches that rely on charismatic speakers or cool worship bands or beautiful meeting spaces will fizzle out. The churches that rely on money and training and networks and models will fizzle out. The church that will be going strong in the days to come will be a church that's desperate for the Holy Spirit. A place where, and a people who say, I want the Spirit here or this thing isn't worth doing. This is a waste of my time unless God is there. A people who wait for him to speak and then take risks knowing the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has their back. I want Horizon to be a church for the future. I don't want it to be a church for the moment or a church for 50 years ago when things were easier. I want it to be a church for the future. I want it to be a church like Jesus imagined. Holy Spirit, come fill this place. Fill these people. Make us a place that is known to be a place where you show up. We don't want to be here. We don't want to do this unless you're here. This is pointless. This is a waste of time. We could be doing better things on our Sunday unless you meet us here. We need you. We can put on a show without you, but we cannot make this thing happen without you. In Acts chapter 2, the students of Jesus are all together, and they hear a rushing wind, and a flame settles over their head. The Spirit has shown up. And I think our challenge is simple today. I want Horizon to be a future church. That means we need to be a spirit-filled and spirit-dependent people because church is made up of people. If we want to be a spirit-filled church, we need to be filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to suggest four things as we close here. Four actions that we can take right now and throughout this week. I'm taking these. Will we just admit that we've been trying to accomplish things without the guidance and the power of the Spirit. Just admit it. 
That's what I admitted this week to Jesus. I said, I've been trying to pastor Horizon without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've been relying on my training or my intelligence or my preparation. I need the Spirit. I've been trying to be a husband without the Holy Spirit. I've been trying to lead and start this church without the Spirit. Next, let's yield to the Spirit's authority and wait for His power and presence. There's sometimes where I'm like, well, God hasn't showed up, so I just have to do it. No, let's keep waiting until He shows up. Because it's not worth doing if He's not involved. If He's not a part of what we're doing, then we're wasting our time. Third, let's ask the Spirit to increase our capacity to enjoy His fullness and ask Him to fill us. Ask Him to speak wait until you hear his voice sit and listen don't just talk at him but listen for the spirit to speak and finally start doing some things that are destined to fail without divine intervention stop thinking we can't do that because we don't have the resources we can't do that because we don't have the training we can't do that because we don't have the people if we have the spirit all bets are off anything is possible the dead start coming back to life let's pray lord jesus thank you so much you said if you went away, you would send the Spirit, and you said it's better to have the Spirit than to actually have you here. God, so often I've acted like the Spirit is an unnecessary accessory to the Christian life rather than the essential element to be your church, to be your people, and to be students of the way that you lived and loved. Forgive me for trying to pastor without the Spirit. Forgive me for trying to start a church that doesn't depend on the Spirit. God, I don't ask that you fill this place with people. I don't ask that you fill our baskets full of money. I ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you fill this place with your Holy Spirit, that it spreads across this community and this city and this nation that they know that you are here. We don't want to be a church that gathers and has good messages and great music. We want to be a church that people know something supernatural is there. I pray these things because I believe this is what you would pray, Jesus.